We are delighted today to close this very tragic and painful chapter in our lives. We were treated unfairly, to some extent, like guinea pigs. We were not pigs. We were all hard-working men and not boys, and citizens of the United States. The wounds, the wounds rather, that were inflicted upon us cannot be undone. I'm saddened today to think of those who did not survive and whose families will forever live with the knowledge that their death and suffering was preventable. That was Herman Shaw. He was one of the victims of the U.S. Public Health Service syphilis study at Tuskegee, Alabama, an unethical experiment to see how syphilis wreaked havoc on the human body. It lasted 40 years until 1972. This year marks the 50th anniversary of an investigation by the Associated Press that revealed to the public how, for four decades, government researchers deceived African Americans who thought they were receiving treatment for syphilis. But actually, the researchers had withheld from them penicillin, which was a known treatment for the disease. Two decades after the revelation, Mr. Shaw spoke at the White House on behalf of the hundreds of black men who were involved in the experiment. Following his speech, President Bill Clinton formally apologized to the victims and their families for the pain and suffering that this inhumane study had caused. The people who ran the study at Tuskegee diminished the stature of man by abandoning the most basic ethical precepts. They forgot their pledge to heal and repair. They had the power to heal the survivors and all the others, and they did not. Today, all we can do is apologize. On this special bonus episode of Color Code, I speak with Dr. Vanessa Northington Gamble, a physician, scholar, and activist about the history and lingering repercussions of this experiment, and how she, as the chair of the Legacy Committee of the Tuskegee Syphilis Study, helped get President Clinton to provide a presidential apology for this healthcare atrocity. So last Monday was actually our last episode for the first season, um, but we wanted to do a kind of bonus episode, if you will, looking at, you know, Tuskegee. We're still trying to figure out exactly what the best um, And I don't is. use that term, so we might need to talk about that. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'd love to hear a bit about what you, what term Yeah, because you Tuskegee use. is beyond a syphilis study. Right. And I think a lot of people don't know. I do not use the word Tuskegee syphilis study. I do not use the word Tuskegee. Uh, so we can, we can, I mean, I'm sure that we can have some conversation about that. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So what, what term do you use? I use the United States Public Health Syphilis Study at Tuskegee, or mm-hmm. that is a mouthful. And so mm-hmm. I'll say syphilis study at Tuskegee, um, mm-hmm. because that I think most people don't know 
Tuskegee Institute, Tuskegee University beyond the syphilis study. Uh, and so I think that is really problematic. That's very insightful and duly noted. Um, tell us a bit about why that framing is important to you and why you feel that is the way that we should refer to what happened. I frame it that way because my work and interest in the history of African Americans and medical care goes beyond the triumvirate. And what I mean by the triumvirate is J. Marion Sims, the syphilis study, and Henrietta Lacks. So it was all stories about African Americans being oppressed. Um, and I'm not saying that those stories do not matter, but that there are other stories that I think are even more hidden. And so let, let, let's talk about Tuskegee Institute. For many years, Tuskegee Institute was the center uh, center of all things Negro. Uh, and, and what I mean by that was that it was where a lot of policy and programs for African-Americans started or where their funds were given, including in healthcare. So there was a hospital at Tuskegee, a hospital that cared for John A. Andrew Hospital. There was a hospital at Tuskegee where um, people, where Black people could get care at a time when there was segregation in healthcare. There was also a nurse training, a midwife training school there. There was also an organization called the um, uh, John A. Andrew Clinical Society. And what that was, was that Black physicians from around the country would come to Tuskegee to get education, postgraduate education, but also to provide care. There was research done on HeLa cells there. So you have pictures in the New York Times of Black women looking at microscopes. So, so, and then yes, there is the syphilis study, but there are other things that were happening at a Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University, so that when people hear the word Tuskegee, I think that is incumbent for them to think beyond the syphilis study. So that's why I feel strongly about going, you know, but, but not using Tuskegee as the shorthand for the syphilis study. Um, I mean, and some people don't even say Tuskegee syphilis study. They just say Tuskegee. I mean, and, you know, with, you know, historical memories fade. I think for some people, they don't even remember who Booker T. Washington was or who the Tuskegee Airmen was. So that's why I feel very strongly about this. No, thank you for that. As I said, duly noted, and I'll be sure to kind of um, correct how I refer to it as well going forward, because I think that's so powerful. Especially if you see me in the room. Certainly, <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> so for this particular episode, we're, because it is, you know, the 50th anniversary of when the, the syphilis study at Tuskegee was, you know, more or less uncovered, um, or at least more or less uncovered to the, the wider public. So I'd love to ask you, one, are there any aspects of the this, this story that you feel are underreported, that people still aren't getting? And then two, I'd love to also really use this interview to talk about, you know, all the work that you did as, as, as the chair for the, the Syphilis Study Legacy Committee, uh, you know, to get Bill Clinton, to get the U.S. government to, to acknowledge that this happened and to apologize right. for it. And Nick, I just, you know, you stopped yourself and 
added something that I think is critical. Because when we talk about the revelation in July of 1972, you said publicly. And, and, and I think that even though you made it as a parenthetical comment, I think that that is critical. And the reason why I think that is critical is that it wasn't hidden by, uh, uh, it wasn't a hidden study. People in medicine and public health know about it. African-Americans teaching at Howard School of Public Health knew about it. So it was not hidden. So what happened in July of 1972 was the public revelation, the public disclosure, when it showed up in front pages of newspapers all around the country. So I think that, you know, even though you you, you said it parenthetically, I think that that is an important part of the story. One of the things that I think is underreported is that there's like this mantra, you know, um, 400 illiterate sharecroppers from Macon County, Alabama. So, So that the men's stories, the men's individual stories, the victims' individual stories, their lives are not well known. And so um, one of the things I have here, you know, is a picture of me with Mr. Shaw, who is one of the men who were in, uh, uh, who was a victim of the syphilis study. And not all the men were illiterate. Not all the men were sharecroppers. Yes, all the men were black. But not all the men were sharecroppers. And I think that they're in, people don't know their individual stories about, you know, how Mr. Pollard, who was the plaintiff uh, in the lawsuit, he appeared in, a, in an army recruiting film um, that, you know, Mr. Shaw talks about his farm um, and his love of his, his uh, uh, wife. Um, Mr. Tyson, Mr. Fred Tyson, his uh, his his granddaughter is involved in in public health, and she talks about how her grandfather loved big cars and that she loved sitting on her granddaddy's knees. And the reason I bring this up is that these men had families, they had stories, they had histories beyond being victimized by the United States government. Um, and, and so I think also when you put a story to the person, I think it really emphasizes what happened to them. So these were not anonymous men. And so those, those that's, you know, you know, in terms of what doesn't come through. One, um, uh, one of the organizations that has now taken a lead um, is um, an organization called Voices of Our Fathers, which is headed by um, uh, Mrs. Lily Head, and they represent the families. And so 
I welcome the fact that the families are now talking about, you know, these particular issues. No, that that's really incredible. And, and tell us, you, 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 you said you have this photo with Mr. Shaw. Could, could you tell us a bit more about who Mr. Shaw was? Mr. Shaw was one of the men who was in the um, syphilis study. And if you, uh, and he was the man who at the presidential apology was the one who spoke for the men. Um, and, um, you know, eloquently with humility and grace. And so that, you know, so that it, it was not these, like these, you know, that these were human beings. And one of the highlights of my life is that I, right before the apology, I got to spend a good 20 minutes talking with Mr. Shaw. Uh, he was not angry. He was telling me that, you know, I told him I had a picture of him on his tractor. Uh, and he says, you know, that tractor is 50 years old and it is still working. And he said, you know, he, he told me it was great being at the White House, but it was planning season. And it was time for him to be back in Macon County planning. Um, he told me about how much he loved his wife. Mm. He told me that in addition to working on his farm, uh, he had another job. I don't remember what it, at one point. I think it was in a warehouse. But so uh, to spend some time with this this man. And then he says to me, he says, you know, it was racist. He said, they only used colored people. Um, and, and so I, at that day, I said to Mr. Shaw, I said, I said to Mr. Shaw that as long as I live, I will make sure that people remember what happened to him and the other men and their families uh, in the syphilis study. Since you brought up kind of that, that, that moment and how impactful it, it was for you, and I know we're kind of jumping around here in the story, but I, I'd love to hear what that moment was like for you to, to, to hear that apology, to be in that room, you know, uh, with Mr. Shaw and, and, and to see this kind of come, I don't know if I would call it a bookend, but to see, to see a tr a, I guess, a triumph for that moment achieved. What, what was that moment like being in that room? I'm usually not a crier, especially in public. When President Clinton said the words, and I am sorry, and there were audible sobs in the room. And um, I just, you know, and I was one of them. And I just remember, you know, you know, being held by Dr. Reuben Warren, who's who's now head of the Bioethics Center at Tuskegee. And 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 we were not the only ones crying. You know, many of the African Americans in the room were crying because when President Clinton said those words, and I am sorry. It was almost as if it was a moment that 
transcended the syphilis study for a brief period. And he was saying, and I am sorry for a whole lot of hurts in the lives of Black people in this country. And I remember that, you know, there were... um, There were some members of the press who wanted to talk with me. They wanted me on television that day, but I was too raw. I really was too raw to to talk about it dispassionately. And it was like, I just wanted to keep this moment, you know, to myself and, you know, with with close friends. And there was um, some disagreement uh, in the committee about where the apology should be held. Um, Dr. J- uh, John Fletcher, who was co-chair of the Legacy Committee, he thought that the apology should have been held in Tuskegee. Because if you if you apologize to someone, you go to their home, you go to them to apologize. But most of us felt that it should be in the White House um, because of what the White House represents, but also that if it were being held in the White House, it would get much more coverage there than it would if it were in Tuskegee, Alabama. Now, tell me a bit about how the the, the committee kind of came together. You know, what were the origins there? And was the goal always to, to get that apology, to get that acknowledgement? So, you know, when we, um, when we met in, in January of, see, yeah, January of 1996, there had been an earlier meeting at the University of Virginia and um, uh, talking about the impact of the syphilis study. Uh, and it came up there um, that maybe there should be an apology, but it wasn't a presidential, it was like, some type of an apology. And so uh, when we met at Tuskegee, that was one of the things on the table. It wasn't, you know, um, the main goal of the meeting at Tuskegee was, you know, this tension of trying to remember the syphilis study, not to erase it, but at the same time examine the legacy of a syphilis study uh, with regard to African-Americans not wanting to be in clinical trials, not wanting to get vaccines, not want to work, you know, not, you know, want it to be involved, uh, you know, with HIV AIDS programs. So it's almost analogous to some of the situation today that we see with COVID-19. So, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, to, uh, look at, you know, what we're going to do. And so we started talking all of a sudden about, you know, so there was a, it was a mixed group. There was, you know, a couple of historians, ethicists, public health people, uh, people from Macon County, uh, and there were some people from the federal government there. So all of a sudden we start talking about this apology. And at first someone said, maybe David Satcher should make the apology because at the time he was head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And I said, no way in hell that a black man is going to make the uh, uh, the apology 
unless he's the president. That's 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 what I said. And so, you know, we're, you know, and then of, of course, when we start talking about this apology, you know, the people who work for the federal government, they had to like step back because they could not be involved in any such advocacy. Um, and it was a Thursday, and, and this is important. It, it was a Thursday, and there were some people who said, you know, does the syphilis study really matter that much? You know, do we really need this? And I believe sometimes there is divine intervention. Because that Thursday night, when white people, when they had their televisions on, were watching Friends, Black people were watching New York Undercover. And on New York Undercover that day, there was this story that was f fiction, but derived from the syphilis study. And there was this black doctor up in Harlem, um, you know, injecting people with syphilis. I mean, it was just, and they, and they talked about Tuskegee. They used the word Tuskegee, so that, you know, that's, you know, that, that's what they kept saying, Tuskegee. And, and so the next, the next day, which was Friday morning, I said, well, you know what? Some of you don't think it's important, but I know that today on Black Talk Radio, Black beauty salons and barbershops, they're talking about the syphilis study. And so we, when we left um, um, uh, Tuskegee, I was named chair of the committee um, because I had the biggest mouth. And so I, I just got recruited for the position. And so that's, that's how it, it came about. And, you know, and the, the other thing, too, that I, I, I pointed out, it was this legacy around the syphilis study. And one of my concerns is that the syphilis study is used many times in ways I do not, or the legacy of the syphilis study is used many times in ways that I don't think are, are appropriate. And what do I mean by that? One of the things that I have on my Google alerts and my Google Scholar alerts is Tuskegee syphilis study. I get something every day. Um, and for the past two, two and a half years, it's all been about COVID. You know, African-Americans, COVID trials, vaccines. Um, and that, you know, the word Tuskegee has become shorthand for Black people won't do X, Y, or Z, or Black people don't trust the medical profession. I think that that is sometimes simplistic. Um, and why do I say it's simplistic? First of all, uh, another word I don't use a lot of, I don't use the word distrust. You know, why, you know, why are African-Americans so distrustful? I like to flip it a bit and say, you know, trust should be earned. What have you done to get my trust? What have you done to earn my trust? And so that flips the burden onto the, the medical professionals and the healthcare institutions. So I'd like to talk about trustworthiness. And I've been talking about 
trustworthiness for about 20 years now, but more and more people are talking about that now. And, 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 and why do I think sometimes it's used inappropriately? So one thing, I did an article that was published in 1997. And, it wa- and what I did in this article was to look to see the attitudes of African-Americans before the syphilis study. And you see fears about experimentation. You see fears about hospitalization that predated the syphilis study. So that, so that the, this, this fraught and fragile relationship of African-Americans with the healthcare system is longstanding long before the syphilis study was even publicly revealed or even started. It started in 1932, went until 1972. And so today, when, when I think a lot of times when people say, well, it's the syphilis study. Well, maybe it is, but more likely it's something that's more local. It might have been, you know, here in, you know, I'm in Philadelphia right now. Um, with the University of Pennsylvania, you know, when um, there was an uprising in West Philadelphia uh, on the street where I used to live, I grew up on, and the police, the Philly police were there with tear gas and the Penn police were there too, that I would argue has more effect on the community relationships around the hospital than the syphilis study. So that I think that I urge people to say, find out, is it really a syphilis study or is it something else going on? And don't be lazy and just say it's the syphilis study. That's a that's a very strong point. And it's actually something that we've delved into through the podcast, looking at, you know, other instances and as you put it kind of like how the medical establishment how do they deserve trust so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy you you said it that way as well um, so so just some more questions that I kind of have for you is you got the you know through your efforts and through the efforts of your your, your, your colleagues and the other people on the committee you, you got the apology the, the presidential apology did the committee and did you all and did the the the, the survivors, um, you know, the victims of this, did, did they feel that was enough or is there mo- more that is owed? It was important for the men and their families to get the apology. And that works for me. You know, so there's on that on, on that level. It works for me. But did it do, you know, there's much more to be done. So one of the things that, came, you know, um, came out of, of uh, the apology, the money was given to start the um, bioethics center at Tuskegee. Um, and so that's important because it's the only um, institution that really looks at race and bioethics. So, I mean, all of a sudden, a bioethics has starting in the past, year, year and a half, looking at issues around race and bioethics. But the, but the, the program in, um, at Tuskegee has been doing it ever since it started. So you have that. There was supposed to be more funding uh, about uh, research and, um, and working with communities. 
some of that has died off directly from the presidential apology, but the interest in doing that has continued. So that there's some things that continue that were directly related to the apology, and there are others that developed as there was more interest in looking at uh, health equity. And I guess my follow-up And the men were not injected with syphilis. Right, right, right. No, I know, I know. But you keep hearing that. I was actually at a stat conference and someone brought up, um, you know, the, the, the syphilis study at Tuskegee and said what they did to the airmen was just horrible. Well, yes. I mean, oh, that's the other, you know, that's yeah. the, so that mix gets mixed up. And then one of the reasons um, that one of the things that happened that kind of perpetuated that myth was there were two HBO films. One on the syphilis study, one on the airmen. And Lawrence Fishburne was in both of them. And right. so, and so, so that, oh yeah. So the, yeah, the, the airmen, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, that, that, still, that still comes up. So my, my, my follow-up question to you is, what do you say to people who want to kind of do what you did, what you and the other committee members did, you know, try to get a, a presidential apology for a medical mistreatment for, for, for some of these other things that have happened. As, as you started off this conversation, you know, there's normally the, the triumvirate there. But as you went on to say, you know, there's so many more cases. So, so what do you say to people who, who, who see that there was an apology for what happened with the syphilis um, study at Tuskegee and now want, you know, want, want, want to demand more apologies? How, do, how should they approach that? So a couple of things. One, when I said there's more, I wasn't just saying that there were more case, uh, cases beyond the triumvirate, but that the history of African-Americans in the medical community goes beyond African-Americans being seen totally as victims. That, you know, medical students might leave, you know, knowing about that triumvirate, but not knowing about Vivian Thomas at Hopkins, who was doing surgery at, you know, at at Hopkins and teaching, you know, people, you know, white physician surgery, even though he himself never became a surgeon. So those stories of triumph and what African-Americans have contributed to medicine. So that is something that I think needs to be done. But the other thing that I think it's important about the syphilis study is we could not demand more funds because for the, the men and their families because of the court settlement. And I so for you know for for other uh, uh, incidents, I think it's important to people to find out what happened. You know, was there any settlements? You know, and what are you trying to get? Do you want, you know, the apology? Because one of the things that I said at one point is that I want to, if we get an apology, I don't want an apology without any cash or prizes. And so what, you know, what are going to be, what else do you want? What do you want to get from the apologies? I mean, I think apologies are important, but they only get you so far. 
Right. I, I was moderating a session not that long ago at like the Aspen Health uh, Festival, and I asked the question to, to the panelists a bit about how, you know, we've made strides in terms of that, you know, we're using the word racism when we talk about medicine, we talk about our healthcare system and such. How long or will we ever start seeing the use of the other R word, you know, uh, reparations <laughs> for some of these mis Right, exactly. Misdeeds. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I also urge people not to, I, I, I urge people to continue to be vigilant because I think that I know some people that have, have like, oh, we're talking about racism in medicine. Isn't that great? But how long are we going to be talking about racism in medicine? You know, how long, you know, what's the sustainability of, of some of these issues? So at the same time we talk about racism in medicine, I think at the same time we also have to look at how can these issues be sustained? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have um, a, a quote for, that you had said um, back in 1997, I believe, where, you know, you were talking about the, the, the problem we must face is not just the shadow of, of Tuskegee, but the shadow of racism that so profoundly affects the lives and beliefs of all people in this country. Do you think in the past 20 years... Well, that sounds good. Years, I forgot I said that. <laughs> <laughs> But but you know you 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 said and and, and about those twenty five years ago. Do you think things have have they changed in your experiences? Have we gotten closer to kind of really you know acknowledging the 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 the, the shadow of racism and how it profoundly affects the lives and and beliefs of all the people in this country? I think things have changed, and let me give you a concrete example. When you know right now we talk more openly about racism in the lives of black mothers and babies, how racism influences the infant mortality and the maternal mortality. You know, we, we talk about this. Some people might think it's problematic, but we have a conversation about it. I remember going to the CDC where we couldn't use the word racism, we were talking about psychosocial stressors in the lives of black women as a way of trying to think about racism, trying to talk about racism, but we weren't sure we were going to be able to use the R word or, or whispering it. You know, it's like, we know we're talking about racism, but we can't use that word. We're, we have come further than that. Um, so, yes, we have come further. Um, we've also come where there are researchers in this area who I don't know. And I say that as a good sign. That there was, a, you know, we would all, all of us would show up, you know, you know, 30 years ago, you know, all of us would show up at the same, the same people, same meeting. And now I'll go to a meeting. It's like, oh wow, who's that person? And that they're doing. I mean, and so that's a good sign that there are more and more people doing this work. So yes, there's a lot more work to be done. And you know, as I, you know, you know we're gonna have to keep stepping. You know, you know, um, uh, looking at these issues, but there have been changes. No, thank you. Thank you so much. And that's very encouraging to hear. I, I know we're getting close to the, the hour here. So I wanted to ask, were there any other, you know, aspects about, 
um, about you know this 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 topic about the the syphilis study at Tuskegee that we didn't touch upon that you wanted to 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 kind of just make sure you you mentioned or you touched upon or if there were other angles at the story that you feel aren't covered enough that we didn't chat about here one thing we did not touch upon which is the third rail here mm-hmm. is african american involvement the nurses right well see that's the first thing you went to that's what i've heard but what about the the president the principal of tuskegee institute what about eugene dibble who was the physician who was in charge of everybody knows about Eunice Rivers. For one thing, she, when the public revelation, she was alive and she she was being interviewed. And when Jim Jones did his book, Bad Blood, he talked with her a lot. So her name, then there is the play, then the movie. And so she has become, you know, you know, the person who there's a, sometimes a lot of hatred towards. So that there were other black people. So I, I there was um, a physician who I knew who worked at uh, Howard University. And he knew about the syphilis study even when he was in medical school and taught about this, the study at Howard. While it was ongoing? Uh-huh. And he was a social activist, um, was fighting racism in medical care, racism in religion. He was a devout Catholic. Um, and I had spent time with him. I had spent about three hours with him by that point on another topic. I'm writing a biography, and I know he knew one of the women I'm writing my biography on. And so I asked him, I said, I know you knew about the syphilis study. And by the end of this, he was calling me Gamble. And he said, Gamble, I'm so glad you asked me that question. And I was asking him the question, not to accuse him of anything, but struggling to understand somebody who had been an activist, someone I admired, someone I knew knew about the syphilis study and did not say anything. And he says, I'm so glad you asked me that question. He says, maybe my maker will ask me that question. I asked myself that question too. And he named other black physicians who knew about it. And, I mean, and I think the principal uh, at Tuskegee thought that he, he, by getting the public health involved, in Tuskegee, he would bring in more money for Tuskegee. But this is someone different who was like teaching about it at one of our most prestigious HBCUs. And he says, you know, when I try to understand it, what I think is, only way I can explain it is I saw it as science. And so it says something about the power of professionalism, how the power of professionalism can even blind the best of us. Because I, as, as a black physician, 
I was just trying to understand that. Because the other thing when you think about the syphilis study, which is not really emphasized, in many ways, it was a very culturally sensitive study, a very culturally appropriate study. I mean, people talk about you do research in communities, make sure they're culturally appropriate. It was very culturally appropriate. It used a black university, a black college, used black churches for recruitment. It had incentives that were culturally appropriate, such as burial insurance, because recently the Millbank uh, Fund, Memorial Fund, apologized. And so that, for me, raises a question. When you use these culturally appropriate mechanisms, you have to be very careful that you don't slip into abuse by using by using these. So those are two of the things that, you know, we did not get a chance to talk about that I just wanted to add. No, thank you so much. And that is fascinating. It really is. I mean, my goodness, what a chilling quote from that man um, to, th- to, to think about it. Did he give you um, an answer that, that satisfied you in terms of just understanding what was going through his head? I don't think he had an answer that satisfied himself. He was struggling. I mean, I never got a chance to talk with him again about it. He was still struggling with himself. And that he says, that's the only answer I, I came with. Because when he said that thing, maybe my maker will ask me that question. And so, I mean, and so I wasn't, you know, I, you know, I was struggling to understand. But when I saw that he could not answer that question himself, you know, that was something that was satisfying you know, you know, to him, you know, it's, you know I, I, I didn't push it, but I wish I had an opportunity to talk with him again before he died, you know, to ask that. Hearing that, hearing that from someone who, as, as you were saying, you know, was an activist in this case, was more or less kind of the last person who would, who you would think to be in that kind of like position. What, 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 what are the lessons learned for other black physicians or healthcare providers who are just looking to give, you know, good care, but may not even realize that they could be part of the problem or that they could do something where they find themselves in that same question, you know, that same position, wondering what their maker thinks of it. I mean, I think one of the things that comes up for all of us is that um, the importance of like self-reflection, if we get a chance to be, you know, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Realize that we all live in an environment where not just black people, but queer people, immigrants, are seen as, as different, as inferior. Uh, and to be aware that even the best of us live in a country, live in an environment where we take in that. Uh, take in a lot of the mores, uh, customs, and prejudices of the wider society. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode and for being part of our Color Code community. 
we can officially announce that we've been renewed for a second season, so stay tuned for more information about that. Our team here at STAT is Alyssa Ambrose, Hyacinth Empanado, Teresa Gaffney, Crystal Milner, and me, Nick St. Fleur. Catherine Gilliard is our intern. Our theme music is by Brian Joel. If you like the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you have any thoughts for us, you can reach out to us at colorcode at statnews.com. And again, thank you just, you know, for your work. for Now, if that is your headline, black people involved in the syphilis study, I'm going to come look for you. Oh, no, I hear you. No problem. (laughs) If that is like the head story, I'm like, okay, okay, Nick, you and I got to talk. No problem. No, I'm not not looking to have any beef. No, but I, I appreciate that.